Let's pray together. Holy Father, what Sue read just a moment ago, that, that is quite a confession to make. How do we get the place, how do we get to the place in life where we can say, whether I have a lot, whether I have little, it doesn't matter to me. Today's teaching, dear God, from Holy Scripture, may it be clear. Give us minds to ponder, give us ears to hear, and, and give us a heart that will know how best to follow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a book here in the pulpit. Put a camera on it for you. Incredible book. Disturbing, disturbing research. This is James Scurlock's new book, Maxed Out. The subtitle is a catchy one, Hard Times, Easy Credit, and the Era of Predatory Lenders. We plunged into what uh, Skurlock is examining last Sabbath together. Today's part two. If you didn't get last week, I'll give you a website in just a moment for that teaching. I want to begin with a metaphor that Skurlock talks about. Can you imagine what it would be like to surf a tsunami? You know what a tsunami is, massive waves. What would it be like to be the lone surfer on a humongous wave racing across the ocean? I went to Google this last week, so I, I, I type in surfing tsunamis. And would you believe it? Yep, a video clip. I'm going to show it on the screen right now. I want you to imagine you are that lone surfer. You're going down this wave. If you go to uh, Tsunami Surfing in Google, you will find this same video clip. Let's put it on the screen right now. He's going behind a jet ski, all right? The jet ski, he's going to release the uh, tow rope in just a moment here. Watch him. There goes, the, uh, there goes the tow rope. He's let it go. He's on his own now. Look at this. Look as the camera pulls back. Can't you imagine? This is just the beginning. There he goes. Have mercy. Keep your eye on him. There he is. <laughs> you can't believe it. You cannot believe it. Would you do that for a billion dollars? Never. And yet, Skurlock takes that metaphor. He says it is an apt metaphor to describe what we in America are doing today. We are surfing the tsunami of massive, massive national and household debt. 
I want to give you two numbers, just two numbers this morning. I want you to scribble the numbers down, take out your, your uh, study guide in today's worship bulletin. It should be right there. Grab it, please. Thank you, ushers. Let's make sure that everybody gets these numbers. Some strategy for surfing the tsunami of household debt. That's coming up in just a moment, so make sure you hold your hand up and get that study guide in the balcony. We have it for you as well. And while we're getting the study guide out here, I want to say to those of you watching, we are delighted to have you. Let me give our website. We'll put it on the screen for you, and you can get the same study guide. There it is on the screen, www.pmchurch.tv, pioneermemorialchurch.tv. We're doing a little mini-series here as we journey into a new season, and the series is called Awkward Ambitions. So when you find that series... Go to this particular teaching. This is called The Awkward Ambitions of a Middle Class. Last week was part one. If you missed part one, by the way, and you're at that website, you can get everything. You can get the uh, iPod, uh, you can get the podcast, the video cast, you can get the whole nine yards, including the study guide. You want to get part one. You're here for two. You need to get one. You can do that at the website as well. Where it says study guide, just click onto that under part two. And you'll have the study guide that we're ready for this morning. Let's jot, we, we are massively indebted as a nation, all right? So let's jot this number down. Let's first take a look. I'd like you to write it down, please. The National Debt. I found a website that is chronicling the national debt. This is what the government owes, all right? This is not what you and I owe. This is what the government owes. Eight trillion eight hundred and twenty billion five hundred and thirty three million eight hundred twenty four thousand ninety dollars and forty cents. Now, that was on Thursday when I wrote this. It goes up. The national debt since September 21, 2006. Get a, get a load of this. The national debt since last September is going up $1.29 billion every single day. Our national debt now calculates for every man, woman, and child $29,000 for every human being living in the United States today. That's our national debt. But listen, the national debt, we don't, we, we don't care about it, and that's part of our problem, but we'll leave that for another time. We don't concern ourselves with the national debt. Let's talk about personal debt. Let's take the combination of the home mortgages that are owed in America plus personal credit that has been uh, taken on by credit cards and, and the like. Here comes, write it down now, the second figure, our, our personal debt, 10 trillion. It's even higher Higher than the government's owing, ten trillion two hundred seventy-six billion two hundred million dollars, and that's the latest figure I could find, and that's a couple years old. So can you imagine? Can you? Um, no wonder Scurlock comes along and says, "You know what it is? You know what we're doing? We are surfing a tsunami, the tsunami of massive indebtedness in this nation." Scurlock makes a point. I want to read it to you. In fact, uh, part of this quotation is in your study guide. You'll have to fill it in, and I'll let you know when we get to that part of it. But the opening line, this is page 14 of his book. Americans have accepted the surfing lifestyle in all of its absurdities. All right? Surfing. We're surfing the tsunami. Now, the little ellipsis there, I'm going to fill that in for you. We have watched advertisements that say, pay off your high credit card debts. Every morning when I shave and shower, I'm listening to WBBM News Radio out of Chicago. You cannot believe in the uh, early morning hour how many financial institutions are saying, tap into the gold mine that is your home equity, take your home equity, turn it into a method to pay off all those bad debts, get another loan. So, 
We have watched advertisements that say pay off your high credit card debts and we have called the 800 numbers and attached our homes to new loans in order to pay off our credit cards and then we have bragged to our friends that we are now debt free. Give me a break. We, have, we are encouraged to rent things we used to own. We've accepted this new bargain. Listen to this. That we will never be out of debt. That's a, that is inevitable, preordained by the God of our choosing. We believe it just goes with life. We have forgotten the feeling of solid ground as we have taken on larger and more treacherous waves, the tsunami. We've ignored the greatest investor among us, Warren Buffett. You've heard of Warren Buffett? You know what? Uh, he, he, who has derided our, quote, sharecroppers society. We're acting like a bunch of indentured slaves. He sounds old and cranky and unhip. Until we wipe out. Now, here comes the quotation in your study guide. Until we wipe out. Let's put it on the screen. There it is. Until we lose our jobs. Until we get divorced. Until we discover that our health insurance doesn't cover thousands of dollars of extras. Until our home doesn't appreciate at the anticipated rate. Until we can no longer serve. Now, write it down. And then the debt hell. As a consumer advocate I interviewed calls it, the dead hell kicks in. We learn the fees pile up, the interest rates increase, the bargain we accepted ceases to be a bargain, it becomes prohibitively expensive, and now here we go. We learn that we are not middle class at all. Write it down. We are poor, and we own nothing. The awkward ambitions of a middle class turns out we're not even middle class. That's Skirlock's point. We are so indentured up to our eyeballs, we own nothing. We're the poor. We're the poor in America. Is there any hope for the likes of you and me? Some of you are feeling that leopard on your chest, sucking the air out of every breath you take. The leopard of that burden, that debt. Is there any hope for the likes of you and me? Hallelujah. I'm so glad to tell you, yep, there is hope. And that's what we're going to share for the few moments we have together. Open your Bible, please, to a passage that is written from prison. That little bit of contextual reality is the key to understanding the impact of what you're about to read. Open your Bible, please, to the book of Philippians. There in the New Testament, little letter, Philippians... Tucked away. By the way, if you didn't bring your Bible, you need to see this in the Bible. So let me give you a page number. Grab our pew Bible in front of you. That would be page 792. It'd be the same translation I'm going to be reading in here. The New King James Version. Philippians chapter 4. Paul. You know where he's writing from? He's writing from incarceration in Rome. Notice what he writes. These words come from prison. Verse 11. Paul writing to to uh, the readers, not that I speak in regard to need. I'm not talking about my personal need because now notice this. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be, what's that word, ladies and gentlemen? To be content. Would you write it down from the New Revised Standard Version? Fill it in, please. I have learned to be content with whatever I have. <laughs> if I don't have much, that's what I'm content with. Whatever I have, I have learned to be content. What do you have right now, Paul? <laughs> Nothing. But a ball and chain in Rome's Mamertine dungeon. When I was a boy, I got to go down into that subterranean hole. Mamertine dungeon. In fact, we'll put a picture of it on the screen. There it is. Dank, dark, damp. Chained to that wall. The mighty apostle of Christianity writes, You know, wherever I am, I've learned a lesson. I've learned to be content. 
Isn't that amazing? When you think of where he wrote it from? Mm. And, ladies and gentlemen, that is the compelling premise of this morning's teaching. Would you write it down, please? Contentment. I have learned, Paul writes, contentment must be learned before it can be lived. All right? Contentment must be learned before it can be lived. Last week, this very same Paul, we were with him last week, 1 Timothy chapter 6, when he makes the point, godliness with contentment is great gain. And we learned last week that contentment is a way of life when it becomes a state of mind. That's what we learned last week. This week, we move further. And by the way, chronologically, it's further. He's coming near the end. And now we learn Paul's point. Contentment is a learned response to life. Contentment must be learned before it can be lived. Here's the question. Kids are gone from school, so let's talk to baby boomers. Those of us who are baby boomers, I'm one. Have we... Learn. I'm not talking about the busters now. I'm not talking about the millennials. Have we baby boomers learned the lesson of contentment? David Ramsey, the Christian financial counselor. We'll get back to him in a moment. On his website, he quotes a USA Today statistic or two or three. Let me, let me run these by you, fellow baby boomers. Listen to this. USA Today reported that 78% of baby boomers today have mortgage debt. So who's surprised? 78%. 59% have credit card debt. 56% have car payments. It looks like the growing middle class of America's midsection is attempting to live without the free, proffered gift. We haven't found out what contentment is. We're living without contentment. We are in debt. Even boomers. Walter... Ruther. Remember his name? Those of you that uh, grew up in uh, mid-20th century might remember his name. He was president. He, he actually formed it. The UAW Union, the United Auto Workers Union, became a very powerful defender of uh, the working man. We'll put a picture on the screen here. There he is giving testimony before Congress. You see that word more? A reporter asked him. A reporter asked him, what is it you want? For the working man, and he thundered a one-word answer, I want more. We want more. And baby boomers have bought that line, hook line, and sinker. More, more, more. I want more, 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 more. And by the way, we not only have raised a generation indebted to the hilt, we have raised a generation in servitude to the hilt. I came across these words from uh, the wise King Solomon. While he was still wise, he wrote the book of Proverbs. It's just a one-line proverb. Put it on the screen for you. Jot it down in your study guide. The bow, the, never forget this. The borrower is servant. See that word? The borrower is servant to the lender. You borrow. I borrow. We immediately become servants to the one or institution we have borrowed from. Skirlock reports that the total amount of mortgage debt in the United States today is now greater than the value of all the stock markets combined. We have borrowed. We are servants to the lenders. Which, by the way, not only makes for millions in servitude today, it actually, it actually discloses the ruse of the new Chase credit card. Have you been seeing this on TV, the new Chase credit card? I went to their website, got a picture of their credit card. It's called the Chase Freedom Card. That is the ultimate. That is the ultimate sham. 
of the credit industry. You use that card, you find freedom. My friend, you use that card, that becomes a ball and a chain for the rest of your life. We'll talk about getting out of the credit card in just a moment. The freedom card, give me a break. A ball and chain for too many of us. And by the way, because we are a nation, uh, rather, because we are a campus of a hundred nations, there we go, there are a whole lot of you who are saying, ah, you... You Americans, that's your problem. You've got a problem, America. Let me just disabuse you of that notion. America is no longer the only nation that is indebted up to its eyeballs. Listen to Skurlock as he goes on. I'll put the quote on the screen for you. Britons, okay, you Brits, we love you. Britons have now surpassed Americans as the world's most profligate borrowers. The South Koreans' economic miracle has been followed by a spending binge unmatched by any other country. In Australia, you down unders, we're glad you're here. The government is handing out American Express cards to poor Aborigines. What's up with that? The Thai government has dictated that all public employees are to make purchases with credit cards, ostensibly to be more efficient. In Germany, some of you are from Germany, a major city, Dresden, has sold all of its public housing to an American investment bank to pay off crushing debts. Europeans are terrified that American-style debting is headed their way. End quote. Too late, by the way, too late, Europe. The borrower is servant to the lender. <laughs> We're a world dragging this ball and chain of unpaid credit behind us. How can we possibly find contentment when we're buying into the line? You've got to have more. You've got to have more. Uh, read it again. Verse 11, Philippians 4. Not that I speak in regard to need, not my need, for I have learned, Paul writes, in whatever state I am, to be content. Now watch this. Verse 12. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. There it is again, ladies and gentlemen, I have learned. You see, contentment must be learned in order for it to be lived. I have learned to be content with whatever it is I have. Sue read it just a moment ago. I like Eugene Peterson's rendition of these words. I'll put it on the screen for you. Actually, Paul is saying, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or empty. I found the recipe. I want to find that recipe, don't you? What is that recipe? How can we live with a, with a, with a heart and a mind Bathed in contentment. I want to share with you and then I'll sit down. Two strategic, two strategic actions you can take. Now, number, number one, we, we, we can't go to Paul. We can go to Paul for number two. We can't go to Paul for number one because 1,900 years ago he had no clue you and I were going to be facing this. We'll have to just go to society for number one. But I wish you'd write it down, please. Strategic Step number one, strategy number one, jot it down. Turn your gawking off. Gawking. That's G-A-W-K-I-N-G. Gawking. What does a person do when he gawks? Just stares. What are you talking about? I'm talking about quit watching television. You say, oh, come on, Dwight. What does television have to do with, what does television have to do with being in debt? It has everything to do with being in debt. Let me share with you from an advertising agency president. 
His name is Jerry Mander. I wish every one of you had this classic in your library. My old academy roommate gave this book to me years ago. I don't even know that it's in print. But here comes an advertising agency president who's written a book called The Four Arguments for the Elimination of Television. Well, forget about the television part. Over the years, what has stuck in my mind is this observation about advertising. Now, understand, we're going to consult somebody who knows the wherewithal that makes advertising tick. You have it in your study guide. This will blow you out of the water. I cannot forget Mander making this point. I read the book 30 years ago. Here we go. Write it down. Advertising exists only to purvey what people don't need. You got to get it, folks. You just have to learn. Step number one, strategy number one. Advertising exists to purvey what people don't need. Whatever people do need, they will find without advertising. Hit the pause button right there. Do you need advertising to tell you when you're hungry that you've got to have food? Well, I've got to turn on my TV. What do I do with this hunger? What, what does the TV say to do now? You don't consult your TV to find out what to do when you have hunger. You know, I've got to get a hold of food. Advertising never tells you go get food. When you get cold, what do you need? I need clothing. Do you need advertising to tell you that when you get cold, you ought to put another layer on? And, he, and here's what... No. Advertising sells us what we don't need. Advertising has to create a sense of need first, and then it sells us. Keep reading, Mander. The goal of... Oh, this is, this is incredible. The goal of advertising is discontent. Discontent. Or, to put it another way, an internal scarcity of contentment. This must be continually created, and this is, what, this is what really knocked my socks off. This must be continually created even at the moment when one has finally bought something. In that event, you've just bought it. Advertising has the task of creating, emphasis his, discontent with what has just been bought. Since once that act is completed, the purchase has no further benefit to the market system. That's why the agencies have come up with that hackneyed phrase, new and improved. I mean, I bought Mr. Clean, and I've been very happy with Mr. Clean, but they now have new and improved Mr. Clean. I've got to get that other one. That's the whole point, ladies and gentlemen, of advertising. It says you, don't, you can't be content with what you have. You've got to go out and buy some more. Get more, more, more. What do you want for the working man? More. Give me more. And we have bought into that lie. Christian, Adventist, consumers have bought into that lie. Mm. You say, what's that have to do with television? No. Aha. Jot this down. This is his sentence. Television is by far the best of all the media at placing advertising inside people's heads. That's the whole point of television. Did you think that television exists to entertain you? Think again. Television is a money-making strategy. It only exists to bring in money. They could, have, they could have gone with video rentals if that were the case. Television doesn't exist to entertain you or inform you. It exists to draw from you income. And by the way, does it work? Jot this number down. In 2005, this is the latest number I could find on the Internet. American companies spent... $271,074,000,000 in advertising in order to persuade you and me to purchase their products and services. That's, by the way, 2.2% of the gross domestic product. That's a honk just to get us to buy. 
Does it work? Of course it works. Why do you think Americans keep getting deeper and deeper into debt? Because somebody has told them they have to have it, which is the great consumer lie of this society. It is the lie. You don't have to have it, for if you did, you wouldn't need somebody to tell you you have to have it in order to have it. You'd have had it on your own. But somebody comes along and says, you need it. You need to be driving this. You need to be wearing this. You need to be eating this. You need to be smelling this way. Come on. The Pied Piper of Madison Avenue has enchanted all of us to restrict his access to your heart and to your home. Strategy number one, turn it off. Turn off your television. The problem is the advertising... The advertising agencies are brilliant. Tell me, true or false, the best part of television are the ads. Of course it is. If the ads are not as good as the programming they're sponsoring and you get up to leave the room while the ad is on, they've lost. The ads have to hold you to that 30-minute or that 60-minute slot. They have to or they're ineffective. Television is to purvey advertisement. Not entertain the public. Strategy number two for learning contentment and freedom from debt. Paul won't keep us guessing this secret to contentment. Look at verse 11 again. Now that I speak in regard to need, no, I'm not talking about that. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Do you know why Paul can write verse 11? Because he believes verse 19. Oh, I love verse 19. Make sure it's marked in your Bible as well as verse 11. Look at verse 19. And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Jot that down from the New Revised. My God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Do you remember how rich God is? How rich is God? Jot this down. Psalm 50. Verses 10 through 12, God says, the whole world is mine. You want to know how rich God is? Haggai chapter 2, verse 8. The silver and the gold are mine. I can take care of you. That's his point. I can take care of you. Madeline Johnson was sharing with me the other day the story of their daughter, Beth, who was three or four years old at the time and was learning her memory verse. Here was her memory verse for the week. All right. God loveth the cheerful giver. But in the little girl's mind, the words got a bit turned around, which is why all that week, as Beth was playing around the house, Madeline could hear her repeating the memory verse over and over to herself and to her dollies. God is a lovely, cheerful giver. And Madeline wrote me, you know what? I think she got it part right. I think she got it all right. Isn't that great? God is a lovely, cheerful giver. My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He is a lovely, cheerful giver. Yes, He is. I can take care of you. You see, Paul can write about being content in verse 11 because he knows the promise in verse 19. I'll take care of you. My God! And by the way, this is one of those rare verses where every single word in the verse, you can, you can emphasize it and draw aside. My God! Personal. I'm not talking about uh, the world. I'm talking about my God. And by the way, He is God. My God shall supply. He'll come through. He will supply all your needs. And by the way, the word is not desires and wants. It's all your needs. 
It's all your needs. My God will supply all your needs according to His glorious riches. Or riches and glory, whichever way you translate it. It's in heaven. He's got a bank in heaven. He's got a bank in heaven so big, He can float the entire planet on that bank. What a God. Yeah. I can take care of you. Which is why, I must ask you this, does it make, any, does it make a shred of sense to you for a Christian to be maxed out in credit card and household debt? Does that make sense to you? I mean, if God can supply all that I need, and if I'm willing to stick to my needs and renounce that TV ad-induced clamor for more and more and more, I don't need that new gadget. I don't need that faster, shinier toy. I don't need a bigger wardrobe. I don't need a larger house. Somebody came to me the other day. They said, Dwight, what's up with this? Why is it that as people grow older and their households grow smaller, that they invest in houses that are bigger and mortgages that are greater? You don't have to have it that big, do you? Really? But for those of us who are already maxed out, how do we get out from under this leopard that is sucking the air out of our, our breathing night and day? Ah, uh, we can get out. We can get out. Let me give you something practical before I sit down. Uh, in my blog for today, it's in the worship bulletin. By the way, if you go to our website, pmchurch.tv, I've got that blog. It's a, week, it's a weekly blog. I went to the Motley Fool. You've heard of the Motley Fool? I went to their website. I got, I'm going to share this with you. I'll just run these by. Go to, the, go to my blog. You'll get the details behind this. Six strategies for eliminating credit card use in your life. Let me just run these six by you real quick. I've got the website also in my blog for the Motley Fool uh, site. Number one, stop using your cards. That's a no-brainer, is it? Just quit using them. The, the, the scissor trick we talked about last week, some people, that's the best. Just snip, 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 snip. Just stop using them. Number two, stop the flood of credit card offers. offers. If you go to, the, go to the blog, I'll give you, there's a phone number there, an 800 number you can call, and you can actually ask no more. Don't keep sending these things to me. I told you last week how my little girl who's 21 and gone, she still gets credit card applications at our address at home. They are incessant. Once they get there, once they get sniff your existence on this planet, they'll be after you until you die. So you can ask them to stop sending it. Number three, what's number three? Number three, always pay more than the minimum. I need to tell you, some of you aren't sure about this. The minimum payment is not a courtesy of the credit card company. That payment is designed to be so low that it will keep you indebted and indentured to them till you die. Because it will, get, it will keep increasing in those massive interest rates. It's not a minimum. To get out, you've got to get higher than the minimum payment. All right, number four. What's number four? Uh, plan your tax. Go to the web, Go to my blog. You'll get the uh, details there. Number five, reduce the interest rate. Do you know that you can call the credit card company up? You've got a phone number on that bill of yours. Call them up. They want your business so bad that if you sound authoritative enough, they will lower your rate to keep you a customer. They want you. Their preferred customers are the ones in debt, not the ones that pay it off every month. They want to get rid of the ones who pay it off every month. They want those who pay the minimum payment. All right? What's, what's this? Uh, number six, consolidate your debts. Go to the blog, and uh, you'll see the details there. I want to say number two. We really want to help you here at Pioneer Memorial Church. We have some of our members now, volunteer members, who are trained in financial credit counseling. If you need help, and this ball and chain is so heavy that you can no longer even move with that affixed to your ankle, call our church office. Sharon Terrell, you saw her baptizing just a moment ago. Pastor Sharon is our pastor for finance. 
she will arrange to get the credit counseling you need. The church needs to be a service in this age of massive indebtedness, and we want to help you. Call the office. The number's in the bulletin. This is not for those of you out of town watching on television. This is for people who are living right here. We can help you. And finally, number three, David Ramsey. It's one of the great... uh, David Ramsey lives with a passion to how to get people out of debt. He was in debt, declared bankruptcy, went to the bottom. He's a Christian. God helped him recover. Now, out of that sense of uh, freedom, he offers to help Americans. He's got a very popular syndicated radio program right here in Michiana, WSBT, every day at 9 o'clock. He has a column in the South Bend Tribune once a week, David Ramsey. I'll give you uh, his website there in the study guide. Here's what Ramsey says. Listen to this. He describes, he said, you want to get out of debt. He describes what he calls a debt snowball method where you take. A lot of people will say, well, I got all these cards and they're maxed out. Where do I start? I'll start with the highest one and work my way down. Wrong, wrong. Time out, Ramsey says. Time out. You'll never get done. What you want to do is start with the lowest the lowest balance. Don't worry about the interest rate. Start with the lowest because you need a sense of accomplishment. I did it. Hallelujah. Start paying off the lowest balance first and work your way up to the big. All right. So he calls it his debt snowball method. Go to his website. He has all kinds of practical stuff. And by the way, we have people in our church who are trained by Dave Ramsey and we're going to turn some of them loose as well. We want to help you get out of this credit hole. Uh, And and by the way, Ramsey makes a compelling point about using credit cards at all. Because I have friends who come to me and say, well, I always pay my card off every month. Well, so do we. And I thought that was great. Ramsey says, wrong, wrong. Watch this. In fact, this is in your study guide. And these are his words from his website. There is no, capitals are his, there is no positive side to credit card use. You will spend, jot it down, 12 to 18% more if you use credit cards instead of cash. What's he saying? He's saying that when you pull your wallet out and you pull plastic and you put plastic down on the table, 12 to 18 percent. Oh, I pay it off every month. No, but you'll still spend 12 to 18 percent more anyway. Why? Because it doesn't feel as bad plastic as when you have to count it out. How much was that again? Eighty five dollars and thirty eight cents. How many times do I have to tell you? Eighty five dollars. Well, by the time you're through, you're saying, do I really want this? That's the point. That's his point. Now, you say, I I just have to have plastic. I just have to have plastic. The rest of this quotation, here it goes. If you have to, and he puts quotation marks around it, if you have to use plastic, I suggest a debit card. You know what a debit card does? It goes straight into your checking account. Debit draws straight from your cash reserves. It's not making up money and making you in debt. It's drawing what you have. So if you have to use plastic, go to the debit card. I use them for travel and the occasional convenience of ordering something over the Internet or phone. Other than that, I use cash. James Scurlock is absolutely right, my friends. There is no such thing as good and bad debt. That is a ploy of the credit card business and the advertising companies. What, what is good debt? You know what some people say? Well, I, I, I take the bad debt. Those are all my credit cards. And I, take, I get an equity loan on my house. I get this good debt to pay off the bad debt. Are you, do you understand that by taking another loan, you simply become indebted to somebody else? That's all you've done. You haven't eliminated your debt. Buying bigger loans for larger houses, that won't help. The idea is reduce rather than enlarge. Save rather than spend. Give rather than get. Which, by the way, is strategy number two. 
Finance counselors who are not Christian will not tell you this one. But Paul will. You see, there's a group of people we left out of this passage, and they are the recipients of Paul's letter. They are the Christians living in that little Macedonian city of Philippi. And Paul says, I want to tell you something, guys. You are known the world over. Hallelujah for you. And what's he talking about? Well, go to here to verse 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no other church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you did. You guys are givers. Look at verse 16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent aid to me there. Verse 17. Not that I seek the gift. Verse 18. Indeed, I have all and I abound. I'm full. But look at the things sent from you. Epaphroditus brought them those things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. They were givers. Would you write that down, please? The readers of Paul's letter were known far and wide as givers. Keep your pen moving. Amazingly enough, giving is a divine strategy for learning contentment free of debt's bondage. Jesus was on to that in the Sermon on the Mount. Keep your pen moving. Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, Luke chapter 6, verse 38. I love it in the New Living. If you give, Jesus says, if you give, you will receive. It's when you give that you receive. Your gift will return to you in full measure, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more and running over. Whatever you measure, whatever measure you use in giving, large or small, it will be used to measure what is given back to you. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Jot it down. Now you're ready to. Strategy number one, turn your gawking off. Strategy number two, turn your giving on. Turn on your giving. Give, give, give. Within reason, of course. I want to read to you again. Ed Gunger's words, these are in last week's study guide. Go to the website, you get the study guide. This is from his book, Religiously Transmitted Diseases. Very poignant point, powerful point he makes about giving. Notice this, giving touches a nerve in us that nothing else does. We look a lot like God when we do it. John 3.16, God so loved that He gave. When you give, you defy the fear. I love this. You defy the fear that you won't have enough. You insult greed, the impulse to inquire or possess more than one needs or deserves. If you really believe that God owns it all and that He is your source and provider, giving will be a simple matter. This is good, isn't it? The arena of giving is the only place where exactly what's going on in your heart is revealed. You want people to know who you really are? You want to know who you really are yourself? Just ask yourself, what do I give or what don't I give? It's giving that will reveal the true you. It's giving. One more line here. According to Jesus, giving keeps your heart in motion toward God and away from material things. Your heart will follow the direction of your giving, end quote. For you see, write it down, final line, giving is the great antidote to the debt of discontent. You think about it. Even God Himself, when faced with His own heartbreaking discontent, over earth children. What did God... God's immediate response to His discontent was to give and give and give and give and give and give. And that's what the cross is. The truth of the cross is the God of the universe who at Calvary opened up the very treasure chest of heaven and gave everything He could. That's how He dealt with His discontent. He gave and He gave. And you know what? You and I freely... We have received, freely give. We have received... And having been saved so greatly and so fully, shall we not respond? There they are, ladies and gentlemen, two two strategic steps you can take to begin to build contentment back into your life, to deal with the demon of discontent. 
to get out from under the burden of debt. You've got to start somewhere. Start with what's easy. Start with Jesus. I was visiting the other day with a professional. He quit giving. So we just can't. We're sitting down together in his office. So we can't. He says, the, 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 the debt has just gotten too much. We can't make it. We can't give. I listen to him. I say, I want to tell you something, friend. Do you suppose it's the other way around? I mean, you think about it. Who better to supply all your needs than the one who has these glorious riches in Christ Jesus in heaven? I mean, who better? Who better to partner with to make the CFO of your financial endeavor? Make him the chief financial officer. You give back to him and you say, I need you. You get us out of this hole. Who better than the God who makes this promise? Somebody stuck an anonymous note in the offering plate a week or two ago. No signature. Got it right here. No signature. Black uh, ballpoint pen. Crammed in with some cash. The one who wrote this uh, note wanted us to know that it's to go to tithe. And so it says, tithe, $80. And then underneath that amount, these words scribbled, please pray for those close to me. And please pray that my spiritual weakness and failings will not in any way affect their own spiritual walk. God, our loving Father, our blessed Redeemer, our eternally faithful guide, bless you all. For I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. For I know that my God will supply all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And then it's no accident. The very next verse, Paul ends with verse 20, Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh God, that, that really is what we want. We want the glory to be Yours. But we need help. Please. You have the glory. You possess the riches. We have the debt. We possess the discontentedness. Oh, Father, could we switch? Would you mind if we traded your riches for our needs? Holy God, there are men and women here who suffer just hearing the subject broached publicly. Whisper to him, whisper to her, it isn't over. There is a way out. Help. Help is there, is here. And give that man, give that woman, give that young adult maxed out, give that teenager, give us all the sweet assurance that you will indeed do just that. Meet our needs and then teach us the contentment that can be learned as a way of life. In Christ Jesus, dear God, please set us free. Amen.